0: The Pre Med Years, session number 176. Hello and welcome to the Pre Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Thank you again for taking the time to come check out the pre-mid years. If this is your first time, welcome. You have 175 episodes to go back and check up and listen to. If you have any specific questions, if this is your first time here, please email me, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Let me know about you and let me know how I can help you either in these podcasts or in any other way. Again, my email, Ryan at net goes straight to me, and uh, I'll do my best to answer you as soon as I can. Today's guest is another Ryan, the only awesome name out there, Ryan, and obviously all Ryans are very smart people, and so this Ryan is no different. Ryan is a current medical student. He actually just matched in psychiatry at Loyola in Chicago, so... We talk about that experience of matching. We talk about his pre-med journey when he decided to become a physician and actually how being pre-med really wasn't his first path in life. And we talk about his website, thewhitecoatfitness.com and what he writes about there as far as fitness and exercise and diet and lifestyle to maintain sanity as you go through this process. So let's welcome Ryan to the show. Ryan, welcome to the pre-mid years. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: I want to congratulate you. As we're recording this, you recently matched at the at, at the match ceremony mid-March. How was that experience for you?
1: Uh it was it was really good. Um there was a lot of buildup to it, um, and a lot of kind of not so much apprehension just because the interviews were all done. And it was really, it's been out of my hands for quite a bit of time before the ceremony. But the fact that kind of all the rest of my planning in terms of where can I rent an apartment and moving and uh, a lot of planning aspects kind of hinged on where I was going to end up, my fiance would end up having to find, you know, work and moving. So um, So that kind of that's, I guess, where the apprehension was, and uh, just a lot of excitement in terms of uh, knowing what programs I interviewed at, what I kind of had felt, and then kind of just wondering where where the chips are going to fall. Um, so it was it was a really exciting time. It was a lot of fun to kind of sit with my classmates and all kind of guessing at you know where we were going to end up and kind of who was going to end up where. And uh, so it was a, it was a really fun time.
0: What what was match day like for you? Did everybody open their envelopes at the same time or was it a one, uh, one person per envelope kind of thing?
1: So ours, so at Madison, um, they, they kind of do, you don't have to do it at all if you don't want to. So you can opt out of kind of the whole match day ceremony if you don't, if you don't want to. And then you can just find out, I think via email at like noon or something like that. um, Or then you have the option of opening your letter early. um, So like five minutes before kind of the whole ceremony starts um, so that you can just kind of peek at it and already know what it's going to be before you open it on stage. Um, Or you can just do it completely blind and go up on stage. And so how we had it, uh, we had a computer generated list of just randomly going up and you would walk up and uh, you would grab your or you would get your, um, letter presented to you or your envelope, uh, and then you would open it up and present it to the audience and just read it off to them. So if you peeked, you already kind of had an idea of what it was going to say, or, if, uh, you did it without that, then it was a complete surprise for you and the audience. Um, and then kind of behind, there was a, a PowerPoint going that had been organized by some of the student leadership that, um, would show a map of kind of and put a star as to where you were going to end up in the U.S. Um, and then you'd you'd walk off, and well, you could get your shirt signed and then walk off.
0: That that to me would be the most nerve-wracking experience, especially for the. I, I would not want to go in blind, but I'll give you my experience when when we had matched at New York Medical College. Mm-hmm. Everybody opened their envelopes at the same time, so we're all in the like okay. the entryway of our our main building. Everybody's congregated around there, and we all open at the same time. So if oh, if sure. things go wrong, you can run run off and hide. <laughs> but to yeah. be on stage and do that, I, do you know what percentage of people go in blind?
1: I'm not sure. I know. I mean, I know I did. Most of my better friends didn't. Um, I want to say it's got, a, it was probably close to a 50, 50 split Ugh. of people who, who went in without it and people who went in blind. No, thank you. Yeah, it was. So I went in blind and did it just, just for, for the fun of it, just because <laughs> I thought it'd be a little more exciting. Um, and it certainly was, it was interesting.
0: And so, so um, give me your initial reaction. You open your envelope and, <laughs> and you see, what, what do you think of that at that moment?
1: Um, I was very, very surprised. Um, So I got my fourth, my fourth rank um, at Loyola, and um, (laughs) no, and they also broadcast this, so you can send links out to people. (laughs) Uh, So my fiance and my mom were watching because they weren't able to make the trip down to Madison, and they said that my face just looked utterly stunned, and so that's pretty much how I felt as well. So I didn't really compose myself very well. So maybe the the peak would have been a better, a better idea for me. Um, for the most part, you could pro- you could tell most people uh, who had looked or hadn't because the pe- it was just genuine surprise, excitement. Or there was a couple like me that probably didn't land exactly where they had pictured, so their mind was probably processing. Oh crap! What do I have to do now? This is interesting. What can This is not what I expected. (laughs) I don't even remember ranking this place. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope it wasn't that bad, but, (laughs) but that's pretty much what my head did. I went, I had to read it twice almost to kind of process it. And then it was like, oh, now I have to start looking at places in Chicago. I wasn't even thinking of doing that. Oh man, that's going to cost a lot more money. So my, my mind, I guess just started racing and uh, it showed pretty well on my face in terms of a bad poker face, I guess.
0: Wow. All right, so that's an interesting discussion about kind of near the end of your medical school journey mm-hmm. and, and matching into residency. Let's talk about your pre-med journey and, sure. and what got you into medical school to begin with. Were mm-hmm. you a, a traditional pre-med student, always knew that you wanted to be a doctor?
1: Uh, I wasn't traditional in the sense that uh, it was around my sophomore, years when I, sophomore year of college um, when I decided that it was going to be medical school. Up to that point, it had been, I'd been kind of bouncing back, back between pharmacy and medicine. Um, I, it was one of those two professional schools. I'm not honestly even sure why exactly I landed on those two. They were both heavily science-based. I'd always enjoyed science, math. Um, so those always seemed like good options to me. I enjoyed um, the healthcare care aspect. Um, and so then I used kind of undergrad to start learning about both of them. Um, and I landed a job uh, as an inpatient pharmacy technician um, during my under my sophomore year of undergrad. So I got a much better insight into the pharmacy. But then I also was out on the floors and um, I would see a lot of the doctors and interact with some of them. It was a smaller town, so I knew some of them. So I actually got to talk with them and follow some of them around as well as the pharmacists. Uh, and by then I after I don't even know, it was a couple of weeks, maybe a month of working there, I had kind of decided that this, the pharmacy wasn't the route that I enjoyed. I wanted to be the doctor. I wanted to be, I wasn't sure what type of doctor, but I just knew it wasn't pharmacy. That was a little bit boring for me. Um, I didn't see the excitement in it. Medicine seemed to have a much um, broader array of things that would be mentally stimulating to me, um, along with a lot more patient interaction, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So it was about my sophomore year is really where I switched into uh, full-on medicine in terms of my goal.
0: Yeah, and that's a perfect example of why shadowing is so important. You went in with this pharmacy mindset and you said, yeah, this really isn't what I thought it was going to be. And, and that's why medical schools are so interested in, in making sure that students shadow so that they really know what they're getting into. So that's, that's awesome you got that experience and you realized what you really wanted to do.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think shadowing is an absolute key, really, no matter, I would almost say no matter what you're going into, whether it's medicine, PA, pharmacy, you know, anything like that. And, and even if these are things that you're kind of not really too sure about, go try and shadow someone for a little bit to really get a feel for it. And, and don't just shadow them. Don't just take it as looking at the job. I mean, really talk to them about the life they live, the things that they do, the things they enjoy, how much free time they have, how much time do they spend with their family a lot of other lifestyle type, um, areas, which are areas that are often overlooked when you're just trying to see them, what they do on the job, which is also very important. Um, and not to be overlooked, but that's kind of the bread and butter, easy part. Um, kind of taking it a couple steps further and looking at what their whole life looks like, I think is very important as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Great advice.
0: Your, your pre-med journey. So it started a little late your sophomore year. Did, how did you find the, the amount of coursework and making sure you had all the prereqs done and, and fitting in shadowing and extracurriculars? How did you find all of that?
1: Um, so, the, so for the prerequisites, for the most part, were I was a cell molecular. Well, I was a biochemistry major until I hit physical chemistry, and I found that I just thoroughly did not enjoy that class to the point where I switched majors to uh, its kissing cousin, or at least for me, cell and molecular biology. It was a difference of, I don't even know, five credits or something, Mm -hmm. Um, and it didn't require physical chemistry. Uh, So basically I just needed to go pick up one lab that I hadn't done in the past because I didn't need it before, and now I did. And then I just added a couple extra classes. So for me, the prerequisites I pretty much covered completely just in my major and just structuring my Kind of generals. Um, I'm not sure what everyone else calls them, but that's at UMD. That's what they call them. Mm, just um, the,
0: the general study
1: stuff. Yep, just the basics that they want to make sure that you're a well-rounded person. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for me, those the generals were actually much harder than uh, the science and math-based courses. I found, you know, a 5,000-level biochemistry course much easier than I did a very basic art or music class, which absolutely killed me. Um, so for me the the prerequisites and and everything fell into line pretty easily. The shadowing was much harder, at least, um, when I was in Duluth, which isn't a very large, uh, it's not a city at all, really. It's population of 70,000 to a hundred thousand. So it's not very big, but even then, um, finding a doctor to, uh, to be in contact with was quite hard, um. It was hard to kind of get through human resources and then find someone who was willing and available. So it took a lot of networking um, and kind of finding other people to open doors for me slowly but surely. Um, And then I just lucked out. I was from a smaller town. um, And so I got in contact with a physician from back home. And I ended up using a bunch of my weekends and summertime to do um, a lot of shadowing there, a lot more focused. Uh, so it was much easier for me to be in contact with them. But, um,
0: T- talk about that a little bit more. Cause I think shadowing and finding a physician to shadow is a huge heartache for a lot of students. Mm-hmm. So what what do you mean by networking? What, what does that actually look like? Who are you talking to? What kind of questions are you asking? That kind of stuff.
1: Uh, so we had a, we had a pre-medical club, um, that I was part of. I mean, I wasn't a very active member, but that's kind of, I guess, where I started my networking and by networking, I just mean really talking to people and talking to people and learning, you know, what I can from them, whether it's someone that they might know that could help me with a certain task or if it's something that I can help them with. Um, but basically just, um, kind of working my way towards my goal at that point was trying to find someone in the hospital. So I would talk with the co-leaders of the interest group and see if they had any contacts and rather than trying to cold call people and they would just wonder who you know is this random student from the college why are they calling why do i don't really want yet another student because most of these doctors especially in some of the larger facilities or with universities nearby they end up getting a lot of students that are wanting to shadow them and follow them around And they they all enjoy it, I think, for the most part, but it does become a bit of a labor at some point, um, especially with trying to schedule it. So if you can find someone who can introduce you rather than having to introduce yourself, that helps open some doors. So I just tried to inchworm my way through, and once I got the information from one person, you can contact the next person, and they're going to be much more open, most likely. And if they can't help you, since you were already introduced to them, now they can hopefully introduce you to someone else if they aren't able to directly help you. Um, so that's kind of that was the method that I had used to try and work through. It wasn't the fastest and most direct way, but I think it was uh, much more efficient, even though it took a little bit longer.
0: Yeah. All right. Very cool. I want to jump into your website and what you seems like what you enjoy doing to help other pre-meds and medical students out there on their journey. And it's not from an MCAT standpoint, it's not from getting better grades really, but it's more about lifestyle stuff. How did you stumble into the White Coat Fitness website and and what you do there?
1: Uh, So um, athletics was a pretty large part of my life, kind of my from five I played a whole host of sports. Hockey was always my main one. So I spent a lot of time you know, either on the ice or just training um, for a sport. I spent a lot of time in the gym, although my gym time was never as serious properly as it is now. Um, But I just spent a lot of time being active for the most part. And then when college hit, I had already kind of decided that I didn't want to pursue hockey because it might interfere with pursuing one of these two professional schools. Um, but I still wanted to be active because all of a sudden I had this kind of empty two hour space of lots of activity um, that used to be full and so I started going to work out quite a bit in the at the college gym and for the first i don't know two or three years, it was a complete fumbling around of not knowing what I was doing. I was doing something, um, but it was never really too focused and but then I kind of turned my Uh, academic skills and my inquisitive learning to figuring out how to do this a little more efficiently and learning, um, basically just consuming and reading as much as I possibly could, whether it was blogs, research articles, books, um, really whatever I could get my hands on and starting to kind of just self-experiment and see what worked for me. Um, so I spent another two years or so, um, just trying everything I possibly could, whether it was a new diet or a different training program, uh, you know, more weights or less weights. Uh, I was never much of a runner, just because I have no idea how to run at a moderate pace. Um, <laughs> I was sprinter walk. I know how to do those two things. Yeah, um,
0: that's that's a hockey tie. Uh, hockey <laughs> hockey player physiology is more of yeah. that fast twitch. Yep. get it done quickly.
1: Yeah. So that was always my mindset. Um, but so then I, I started getting more questions once I hit medical school and I was pretty well known for going to the gym before our tests, after our tests, before really anything. Um, most people would normally guess that I was either coming from or going to the gym and they were (laughs) almost always right. Um, and so I would get, a decent amount of questions in terms of what other people could do or how they could make time to get in workouts because they knew that I was doing it pretty much almost every day and that I somehow had time for it. Um, and so that got me thinking that I was answering enough of these questions that there seemed to be at least a space that I could possibly help some more people. Um, and I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a very good writer. In fact, writing has always been probably one of my worst subjects all through school. But I figured I could at least give it a shot and hopefully get some information out that would help more people and help kind of cut through a lot of the stuff that we see on TV or plastered on ads all over, which is um, some of quite possibly the worst information that will either at best drain your wallet or at worst it can cause, you know, end up causing harm in the end. Um, so it was really trying to help get it, get out some more information to even medical students who we aren't trained in really nutrition or diets or exercise. We get a very, very brief couple week glimpse into it for the most part, which is Um,
0: miserable. It's, it's a atrocious that we aren't trained for.
1: And it's, um, when you really start digging into the research, I mean, exercise and diets can end up creating some pretty amazing medical shifts for people in terms of their health markers. And,
0: <laughs> you mean and you is, don't have to take a pill? You can diet and exercise?
1: It's it's very surprising. It's surprising <laughs> to think. but But yet, I would have a lot of conversations with medical students who would think that the only way to lose weight or diet was to completely cut out certain food groups or you know, just drink protein or just shakes or cleanses or, you know, only run on the treadmill for an hour at a time. So there's just, there's still, these were amazingly smart people yet the information that they had access to was just so off, uh, and not even research based. Um, but they just don't know it because that's really, that's really all that's available. So that's kind of where that website came from.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. What, what do you find is one of the, the biggest things that you're teaching students or, or other people that makes one of the biggest differences to them?
1: Um, that there's always enough time for something, and that something is better than nothing, and you don't have to end up feeling, um, you don't have to end up dripping sweat, gasping, and puking to call it a good, effective. <laughs> Workout.
0: <laughs> I, workout. I never knew puking was the, the uh, sign of a good workout.
1: There, there seems to be this, this hardcore mentality that, you know, if you're not laying on the ground in a pool of your own sweat, um, that it wasn't effective or you didn't get it done or that's the only, if you can't get to that point or work out for an hour or something like that, it's not effective. When in reality, 10 minutes, if you only have 10 minutes, 10 minutes can be very effective. Uh, if you have 20, that's great. You can do something very effective in 20. Um, and that there's there's just always time for something that could be improving your health more than uh, kind of currently what most people are doing, which is nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, as you said, there's the mentality of, of, I need to work out and I need to spend an hour here and I need to lift weights for an hour and... I can't do that, so I'm just not going to do anything there's this there's this mindset trap that we fall into um, with with it kind of everything in life if if right. I can't do it hundred percent, then I want to do it zero percent and there's there's this well known phenomenon called the compound effect you do a little bit each day to get to where you're going and and usually you say okay i am going to do one push up today mm-hmm. and and by the time you get down on the ground and you get ready to do one push-up you go why the heck am I only going to do one push-up I might as well do 10 I'm already okay. down here and so okay. just just that mental block of of getting there and, and doing it and I, I think it's so important because as a it, not so much as a pre-med but I, the pre-med world these days is is very competitive very cutthroat but even more mm-hmm. now so with uh, or now with medical students i mean you know you're you're a medical student now although you're in your fourth year so it's kind of kind of easy now but (laughs) you're the first couple years of medical school there there seems like there's no time for anything but but you were able to make time how did you how did you get that mindset and how did you work through the logistics of actually saying okay I have ten tests coming up next week, but I'm going to take an hour to go to the gym.
1: Well, um, yeah. So there's a couple, a couple ways to kind of, that I kind of use to tackle that. Um, one is I know very specifically what my priorities are. Um, school was obviously number one, no question. Um, which you know takes into account studying. If you have required classes, you need to go to. I know some medical school's mine at least recorded lectures, um, so that you could watch those, um, kind of by yourself, um, which requires a little more willpower, a little more control. Um, so you can, but you can watch them at one and a half to two times speed, which cuts down on time, makes it more efficient, but the biggest thing. So I had my priorities set. I knew that school was first and the next honestly was my health. And to me, my health, Uh, I need to prioritize some sort of a weight workout and some sort of walking, which is my quote-unquote cardio. But it's also my time to kind of relax and mentally decompress. Both of those are kind of areas that are like more like meditation for me. It's a way to get away from everything. It's a way to clear my head. It's a way to push everything off into kind of my subconscious and really focus on something that is completely not school related, which I think is a very, very important thing, even though it feels like you should always be focused on studying because someone else is always studying more. I think that's kind of the wrong mindset. Um, I also found that the days that I would work out and exercise are the days that I always felt the best. I had the most energy and I studied the most efficiently. So maybe I didn't have the extra two hours, because I spent some walking and and lifting weights. but the time that I did spend studying was much more efficient because my brain just i was I was much more able to focus and I retained a lot more. And that's actually been shown in plenty of plenty of studies if you want to get um, since we can be somewhat medical, if you want to get some uh, bDNF brain derived neurotropic factor, um, increases in your brain. Um, you can do some aerobic cardio before, uh, studying something that you really want to retain and that will help, uh, increase, uh, memory retention. And that's been shown quite a bit. Um,
0: that, I, so, th- I think that's a, a huge part. I'm, I'm glad you, you talked about it. I, the efficient studying. I think, again, there's, there's this badge of honor of pulling an all nighter, but yeah. The, the fact that you're missing sleep and you're, you're struggling through it, you are more easily distracted. You are, are reading things three or four times because you're forgetting mm-hmm. what you're reading. And it's just a waste of time. And mm-hmm. the, the more that you can take care of yourself through, through diet, through exercise, through sleep and hydration, mm-hmm. the, the more efficient you'll be. And you won't have to pull all-nighters because you're getting it the first time around.
1: Fantastic point, and I've I've never pulled an all-nighter. Uh, I well, residency will probably end that for me, but um, I I have yet to need one through undergrad or medical school. I have never understood the thought process behind it. Um, it always seemed very counterproductive to me in terms of you're just going to completely decrease your performance. I know when I was younger, I. On the nights that I stayed up late playing video games, I can guarantee you my hockey performance was never top-notch the next day. Um, And so to think that I was going to stay up all night, not only taxing my brain trying to stuff more information into it, but then try and go and do my best mental performance after all that uh, never seemed like the the smartest thing to me. Yeah. Um, one of the other things, I guess the last thing that I did was just scheduling things. I had a very rigid schedule. Um, I got up at six or six 30 every day. I was in the gym walking by seven, seven 30, possibly at the latest. And then I would have a block of studying, which was broken down into kind of the subjects that I wanted to hit. Uh, then around noon, that's normally when we would have small group. If I had a small group in the morning, I would go to that. Those are always our required things. And there might be a small group in the afternoon. And if there was one, I would go to that and lift afterwards. If not, I would have a small kind of block of studying and then I would go to this, and then I would lift and then go home. And then I would watch my lectures for the day that had happened. Um, And then I would watch them at an increased speed. Normally, by the end of the night, I noticed that reading, I just wasn't very efficient at it. I was very good in the morning, and it just as the day progressed, I got worse and worse in terms of efficiency. Like you had pointed out, I was reading things multiple times and I knew that was, when that started happening, I knew it was time to shut it down, even if I felt, um, you know, I hadn't got enough done, but I also knew that I was going to really start kind of shooting myself in the foot. And so then I would switch to watching it, which then it was a new medium, a new way for me to uh, kind of take in the information so I could still kind of stay fresh. And then by seven thirty, eight o'clock, I would wrap it up and I would kind of do some, do something that was a little more relaxing, a little more fun. Sometimes it was just watch Netflix, sometimes it was read. Uh, Then I would try and get to bed in time for a solid eight hours in bed and get up and repeat.
0: How do you take that schedule, which is more of your first couple years typically for for the non- clinical med school years. And how do you transition that into your clinical years where you're doing surgery, you're on their surgery rotation, you're doing Uh your internal medicine rotation.
1: Yep. That was, that was a shock. Um, (laughs) so that took some adapting, um, that certainly threw out my complete control of my own schedule and threw it into someone else's hands. Um, so again, taking my priorities, I already knew that I was going to be in the hospital or the clinic, uh, dictated by whatever rotation I was on. So that was kind of taken care of and taken away from me at the same time. So I knew that priority number two now was how, and when do I get my exercise in and how do I make sure that I get that in? Um, I found very quickly that trying to do that after a day in the hospital or the clinic was a horrible idea for me. Um, I was just completely demotivated. My brain was dead from trying to think and answer questions and research stuff all through the day. Um, So I was just tired, shot, and had no ambition to go to the gym afterwards, no matter how hard I, well, I mean, I could get there, but it it was tough. So I switched my schedule to getting up even earlier. So I was up around 4 or 4.30. My workouts are much longer than most people's, so most people wouldn't need to get up at such an early hour. But that's just, again, I was... I didn't want to sacrifice too much in terms of time, um, so I shifted my schedule, I guess, more. So now it was get up at 4 or 4.30, get everything done, be to the clinic by depending on what rotation. Surgery completely messed all that up because I had to be at the hospital at 5. So then it was then I was doing it after surgery. I cut down the days and cut down the time. Um. So that took a complete overhaul. But for the most part, it was get up at 4 or 4.30, get in, get to the hospital slash clinic by 6.30 to 8 o'clock, depending on the rotation, get done whenever they tell me, which I never knew what time that was going to be, which is, again, why I didn't like doing it after. Uh, and then I would get home and see what kind of more studying I could do on top of what I had done while I was at the clinic. I really tried to do as much as I could when I was there. Uh, researching patients and things that popped up that I didn't know, making sure to try and integrate that all together, uh, and then getting to bed by about 9 o'clock or 9.30 to get up again in the morning. Wow.
0: That's uh, some dedication.
1: <laughs> it, it, was, it was a shift because I, I never was an amazing morning person. Um, so this was, this was a shift for me. It probably took me two weeks to really start to feel okay in the morning. I don't think I ever truly felt horribly amazing, but um, it did. I still noticed that even there were plenty of days where I just, I would wake up and say, you know what, I just don't want to go today. But it was just so ingrained that I just would still do it, kind of hazily zombie, walk myself to my car and get to the gym. And once I kind of got to the gym, like you had already pointed out, you know, I was there and I was like, well, I'm there. I'm going to at least warm up. And then I'd warm up, and I'd be like, all right, I'm feeling okay. Kind of let's get started. Then i get started, and then all of a sudden it was like, all right, I'm feeling pretty awake. And then by the time I was done and at the clinic, I was actually wide awake. I was feeling amazing. Um, So I actually noticed it really, really helped me in terms of my performance at the clinic when you would think it might not. But, of course, you also have to be able to not stay up until 12 or 1 or whatever on social media or watching Netflix or something like that, because otherwise that sleep deprivation will catch up to you.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. So Ryan, what would you say to the pre med out there, even the medical student that that might be listening to this, that is is in the middle of their classes and they they feel like they don't have time for anything? Maybe they have family too that they're trying to juggle. That what do you tell them to to keep them motivated and to help them find that, that time to, to take for themselves, to help them relieve some stress and be a little bit more efficient and everything that fitness and and proper diet does.
1: Yeah. So that's, that can be kind of hard. It's finding, you got to find the motivation inside yourself in terms of what it means for you, what, what can you think of that will really drive you? If you have a family, is that is that thinking about you know playing with your kids or your grandkids when you're 60 or 65, knowing that you're still in great health because you didn't let it slide during these kind of rougher years? Uh, is it someone who's a little more that really likes challenges? Is it someone who kind of sees it as wow, this is going to be tough, but this will I'll feel really really good afterwards? Um, or maybe it's someone just just the fact of knowing that um, almost all the top business people, the top performers in pretty much every area of life, I mean, even Richard Branson, I think, was quoted saying he'll devote you know, an hour of exercise because he knows he's going to get four extra hours of efficient work out of it. Uh, that's just kind of the trade-off that most people seem to end up seeing. Um, and then knowing that just a little bit goes a long ways. So don't think. So, just one conversation I had with with a, a fellow student here recently was um, asked me what what I thought about getting back into running. She wanted to start running again, and she wanted to run. It was like three miles or something, like four times a week or three times a week. Either way, it sounded like way too much to me because anything past a mile is too much. <laughs> um, but then she said. She said something along the lines of, you know, but I'm not sure if I have enough time for that. And I said, well, why don't you just do a mile then? And she looked at me, honestly, like, like I was crazy. And she said, well, why? that doesn't do anything. Why would I do that? <laughs> and so she would rather fail at, you know, not at running, trying to run three, three miles or four miles or whatever, you know, the couple times a week rather than just doing something one mile. It seems like it's just too small. There is no too small. It all makes a difference and it'll all build on itself like you had already pointed out. Um, And you'll start to notice if you can consistently find something that's very easy, set your goals when you're first starting out as easy, easy hurdles. Make them so easy that you possibly couldn't fail. Just like the one pushup. Maybe it's one push up. Maybe it's walk one block. I mean, just, we're talking so low barrier, so easy. You could do it in your sleep easy and then just work on slowly working that up. And I promise you it will start to show and you'll start to enjoy it. It'll start to build up and you'll start to feel the effects. Your mood will get better. Your thoughts will be better. Your family will notice everything. Um, You'll just start to feel like a much more healthy person. Um, So, Nothing is too small.
0: All right, again, that was Ryan from thewhitecoatfitness.com. Go check him out. Say hello. Go check out uh, everything that he's doing over there. It's pretty awesome. You'll notice from his his pictures and everything, he's got a bunch of videos. He's a pretty jacked dude. And I was telling him afterwards, after we recorded, I'm like, dude, you are jacked. Um, so again, as as we talked about, Your goal doesn't have to be looking like Ryan. Your goal, just, you need to maintain sanity. You need to maintain your efficiencies as you're going through this process. And exercise does that. And it doesn't have to be three miles. It can be a half a mile. It can be a quarter of a mile. It just needs to be something. Get moving, get out there. So hopefully that will help. I want to welcome back our sponsor, Elite Medical Scribes. You can find them at medicalschoolhq.net slash E-M-S. That'll take you to their page where they have a list of all the careers currently, all the positions that they're hiring for. And I'm looking at this now, and they cover a vast majority of, of what you may be looking for in any area of the country. It's pretty thorough, Wisconsin, Texas, North Carolina, New York, New Jersey, Minnesota, you name it, they have it. California, obviously a huge location as well. They have emergency department, oncology, orthopedics, pediatrics, something that you may be interested in. I encourage you to go listen to medicalschoolhq.net slash 136, and that's the interview that I did with Elite Medical Scribes that explains what a scribe is and how it can benefit you as a pre-med student. And if you remember a couple episodes ago, I spoke to Christine, who is at Keck School of Medicine in, at USC in Los Angeles, and her number one thing that she saw from students not getting into school was lack of clinical experience. And she specifically said that being a scribe is amazing clinical experience for the pre-med. So, Being a scribe not only gives you experience for your application, it also pays you, which is awesome. It's a great job. Go check out Elite Medical Scribes. They're one of the top scribe companies in the country hiring pre-meds to fill spots that are much needed in in healthcare. You're going to be part of an amazing team uh, with Elite Medical Scribes as well as the team of physicians and other people that you're working with at the hospital. You're going to get top-notch training and you're going to make a difference once you're in the hospital, not only for the patients, for the physicians, but also for your future as a medical student uh, to get into medical school because you're strengthening your application. Again, go check them out, medicalschoolhq.net slash E-M-S. Thank you, Elite Medical Scribes, for your continued support of the pre-med years. I want to thank take I want to think I want to take two seconds and think uh, two people that left us awesome ratings interviews in iTunes we have Mason Boyd that says immensely valuable informative and entertaining apparently I create a space which inspires informs and educates the future physicians uh, thank you very much for that Mason Boyd and thank you for your service as a, a Marine Corps sergeant which is awesome And we have another one here from Carmen Laro. Thank you, both of you, for having relatively easy usernames, which is awesome and unusual. Carmen says, pure motivation. This podcast really helps put my life in perspective by providing all kinds of information and stories that give you the will to continue pursuing a higher education. So that's awesome. Thank you, Carmen, for leaving that. If you would like to leave a rating interview, Go check out medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. That'll pop up in iTunes, and you can do so there. Thank you, again, to everybody that's leaving ratings and reviews. We're almost up to 400 five-star ratings in iTunes, which is awesome. I have a question for you. As, As you're listening to this, this is episode 176. We're closing in on episode 200. I want to hear from you what cool things we can do for a celebration of 200 episodes here at the pre-med years. I was thinking about maybe some sort of giveaway, whether it's an MCAT package, whether it's an Amazon gift card, uh, what sorts of contests can we have, what sorts of guests maybe. I, I want to hear your thoughts. Shoot me an email, Ryan at net, and let me know because... Allison and I are trying to think about how we can celebrate uh, not only our accomplishment of hitting 200, but your accomplishment of hanging in there for 200 episodes or however many that you've listened to at this point. So, again, email me, ryan at net. I hope you got a ton of great information out of the podcast today. And as always, I hope you join us next week here at the medical school headquarters and the pre-med years podcast.